Culture and Psychology with Tabana. Welcome to our show, Culture and Psychology. Uh, this is Saideh Malik Afsali speaking. I'm sitting with Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alexandrade. A very warm hello to our listeners. Uh, today, um, before the show, we were casually talking about authenticity. And when um, we ask each other how we're doing, uh, sometimes as a joke, we just bluntly say, hey, I am doing absolutely great. So it sounds like it's not that real. So uh, we just say it. And we were just talking about superiority, not showing that there's anything wrong. We don't share. And then we talked about different parts of the culture. And so I want to open this conversation today with Dr. Andrade and Dr. Rockers. Well, as a... Well, yeah, but let's both. We all want to jump in here. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, just as uh, Saide was mentioning, the uh, the the phrase "How are you doing?" and and I think that sparks something in both of us. It can be an invitation to connect and share. And I think, and when when Saide asked me that, I know it's a it's a, it's an actual interest. She's like, "How are you doing? How are things going?" But there have been times where I've encountered that, and it's just something that we say is a greeting not necessarily something that we're actually wanting a, a real response. And I think, Daniel, you, you gave a, a great response to that question uh, uh, when, when first getting on the air this morning. Uh, before we got on the air, I said, fine, great, super great, excellent, wonderful, fabulous. I sometimes do that because I don't, you know what? I quit asking people and clients in general, how are you doing? Because I, I agree, it invites this generic response fine. I could say, sometimes what I say to my clients is, I'm going to ask you how you're feeling, and I will not accept an answer that includes the words fine or good, because mm -hmm. people will just give this generalized brush off answer that doesn't, and maybe it's from our culture of just over and over, hi, fine, that kind of a thing. But it, I think the question actually invites this gross generalization of how are you in all spheres of functioning? And, you know, what are they going to say? I feel like crap. I mean, I guess they could, but generally we don't. But I think it just invites this overgeneralization and it doesn't really get up to the heart of the matter. So I think it's unhelpful. In yeah, the, in but then open-ending question usually is what you start with. Um, so you can, for example, say what brought you here. That opens up the uh, reason for coming to the session for therapy. But in general, the reason I wanted us to talk about this authenticity, um, when I first came to U.S., it was interesting for me to see that everyone here, when you ask them how you're doing, they always say, oh, fine, it's great, it's a great day, um, the weather is beautiful. They Bunch talk positive about positive people. <laughs> so being in, being in high school and um, taking everything with face value, I thought, wow, everybody here is great. Mm. No one has any problem when you ask <laughs> them how you are doing. Everybody says, I'm great. And then um, for me, it was sort of the opposite because when um, in our culture, especially the time that um, I came here, which was uh, yesterday, <laughs> as Daniel said. <laughs> yeah, just last week. Yeah, last week. 
so anyways, I was in high school and, um, you know, when you're at that age and you don't have still your frontal lobe completed and developed completely, you just take everything as you perceive. And my perception was, wow, what a great nation. Everything is just fine. They don't have any problem. And, and I was just thinking, even if they're sick, they have such a strong spirit that they always say they're great. So I was just perceiving it that way. And then I thought I was comparing. I thought in uh, Iran, when you ask someone, how are you doing? Then all of a sudden they go, oh, you know what? My son has this problem. My daughter just yesterday, um, this happened to her. And here I am with all these issues, dealing with this, dealing with that. And then all of a sudden you start really talking about it, you start helping, you go, oh, I know someone that maybe can help you, or why don't you call this person, this person knows so-and-so, and maybe you can get better help. So everybody jumps in to support. I don't know how helpful it is, but at least takes a lot of, you know, hard emotions off the shoulder, knowing that there are other people that they care, they want to help you. And of course, you don't go to the street to talk about this, but obviously your co-worker, your friend of friends, your family members, your relatives. So you start talking about your problem. So the first thing is it's going to be off your chest. And the second thing is all of a sudden there are all these doors open. Like you say, oh, you know what? My mother has such a problem with the knee or back and I'm taking care of her. I can't pick her up. And, and you start talking about this and then whoever is hearing go, oh, you know what? I can just get help because someone is looking for this and that, or I know the best doctor for the knee or for the back. And so everybody jumps in wholeheartedly to support and to help. And um, this was- I was, something- was going to ask, I was going to ask that because uh, I think you addressed one question I had is like, what is the depth of the relationship? So- I think in in hearing you, it's like friends or family or people maybe that you're close to. And I can see maybe giving an initial greeting and saying, hey, how are you doing? But then maybe as you start to share a little bit more about what's going on in your life, then you kind of do that. But like you, you said, know, you don't take it to like a stranger. Necessarily. No, you're saying, no, you're sitting in the bus or you are in the metro, you're going and then you start talking to a complete stranger mm-hmm. and you share, you know, you're, you're uh, for 30 minutes on the road and somebody else is sitting by you. No, you know, it depends on your personality too. You just open up to anybody, a stranger sitting by you. And sometimes out of that, you know, they may go their own way and no, don't see each other, but at least if you had something in your chest at that time, you just shared it. And then a lot of times, even those are strangers, they just exchange numbers sometimes and they go, hey, you know, call me. I can talk to you about this, that there's a person that I know that is perfect for this and that. Seriously, there's so much of that going on. I don't know about now because with COVID, with all the internet opening up to people. I've been out for a long time, so I don't know how is there now, but this was my experience. And in general, it is my experience even with family and friends here. You share. Um, 
But at work, I realized that uh, if you share, it's just sort of weakness. So you stop sharing anything personal. And, and that personal is not to do anything with the work. But at work, in um, you know, our culture, a lot of times people just share their issues and it's just normal because it's human being and people have issues and it's not something that is for you and it's not for me. So everybody may go through that, but by sharing, first of all, you just uh, let it go off your chest. And then on the other hand, you just get a lot of support, you know? I remember growing up and my dad telling me, you know, when you, when you work at a job, you know, you're not there to make friends. And so this idea of almost like keeping these relationships professional or keeping a boundary between them. So you're not oversharing because then you end up getting into an environment where everybody's friends and maybe people are a little bit too relaxed and not maybe doing their job or also to that, that idea, maybe that information, that information can be used against you a little bit even too. So it's like, you don't disclose or share too much. And I think there's a balance where you get to know each other and you be friendly, but yeah, I think it can be, I've always had the mindset. It can be a little risky if you're too close sometimes in those relationships. And so trying to navigate that, that delicate balance where you can be friendly, but then yeah, maybe not being too open. So uh, again, I think that's a great example of maybe the, the, the difference in, you know, maybe cultures or even the American society about, you know, how much you share, how much you disclose. But we're also talking about different contexts too, right? We can talk about inter- just personal relationships. We can talk about work relationships. We could talk about professional psychotherapist to client relationships. And I think those boundary settings are necessarily a little different. They're not always the same. And those may likely differ across uh, cultures too, I would think so. Absolutely. I mean, I actually have a negative experience from sharing myself because um, I think we even talked about it in the show. My very, very first job, um, I was in business. um, I was studying business and it was, I was a freshman in college. So I got a job in a a small uh, office and I was doing their um, accounting stuff. And I, as I was uh, studying business subjects, which mostly was different accounting and you know, the first year as a freshman, you take all these accounting and stuff. And I wanted to gain experience practically. So I was hired at a place. And um, so there was a secretary there. And the first day I came to the job, she came to me and she says, do you wanna go to lunch? I said, of course. And I was happy that somebody is there. Everybody was men. It was me and the secretary. So I said, yeah, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch and she asked me, how much do you get paid for your job? So I just said, I'm getting this much. And then at two o'clock or three o'clock that same afternoon, the president of the company called me to his office and he says, you need to know who you share and how much you share because this person came to me and is complaining that you are new and you are even a freshman in college and you don't have any experience. This is your first job. And she's complaining that you're getting paid more than she does. And it was like, I mean, 
it was such a shock that, oh, I made such a bad mistake to share how much I'm getting paid. But at the time, you know, I was thinking, how could you, how could I not respond? You know what I mean? It's like somebody asked me how much you get paid. And I said, this is um, my salary. And from that point on, that was a big shock to me. And it was like, okay, I have to watch this. I have to be careful. This is different. It's not like, you know, you can share everything. So that was my first lesson. And, you know, you learn as you move on, you say something somewhere else, and then something comes up and you go, oh, you know, I shouldn't have said that because now this has been taken this way and that. So then you learn, you learn that you have to sometimes be political, you have to not share just what people ask, people are curious, how much you share, as you said, Alex, is important. Alex, when you're I want to ask you a question, like when your dad said that to you, which generally I, when somebody's dad says something to them, I like want to really pay attention to it. Because when I think back to the things my dad told me, and a lot of them, I just didn't, I disregarded or didn't get it. And I was thinking, I really should have listened very carefully. (laughs) But was he saying that, were you going into a job in a management position or was it, was it for you going to work or was it like a, what was the, how did that topic come up? Yeah, it was just like an, an entry level job. It was just that idea of like learning the job kind of uh, field, uh, you know, like this, these are things you do. It's like you work okay. hard, you know, you, you, you're not there to make friends. Um, I've always been in, uh, I think the message that my parents have always instilled upon me is you work hard, have a strong work ethic. Uh, you know, be responsible. Uh, and so it's it's almost the idea too that to be friends with people at work could be a little risky in some ways, as far as maybe threatening that work ethic or, you know, threatening even maybe your position at the job, that that information can somehow be used against you if you're, and then if you're there like having fun and, you know, spending time with your friends, it's like, you're not working, you know? And so I, I feel like it wasn't, it was never a harsh message. It was just, my dad always gave me these like little reminders, like, Hey, you know, be careful who you, you know, share with, uh, you know, be careful, you know, you're not there to make friends, you know? And so kind of encouraging me in that way. So, yeah. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, I've always maintained this balance uh, in certain settings where you don't want to be overly open, overly friendly. Uh, but then I've had to learn too. I think like any, any rule or guideline you have to, you have to learn and explore where is that, where's that balance for you. And so over the years, I've realized that in, like you were saying, Daniel, in different settings, there can be a little bit deeper connections. Like when I was part of, you know, a previous association that we were all connected with, we were friends and we'd go out for drinks and dinner and things like that. And even us, the three of us, we've gone out to dinner and things like that. So uh, there can be definitely different levels and depths. Well, we are at our first break. So I'm going to say, say some words in uh, Farsi for uh, our listeners. Shanvandigan Aziz Radio Bamdad. Imruz man be hamrahe dutan az hamkaranam. Haftegi shambha va yek shambha dar Radio Bamdad sohbat mukonim. Dr. Daniel Rakers va Dr. Alexandradi duta az dustan va hamkaran man hastan ke ma shambha va yek shambha ham turke khidmatun goftam az sahte davazat ayi ke baad azur. در برنامه کالچر و سایکولوژی فرهنگ و روانشناسی باتون صحبت می کنیم امروز 
در مورد اینکه ما چقدر صمیمیت داریم و حرفامون رو برای همدیگه میزنیم صحبت میکنیم و اینکه چقدر فرهنگ ها با هم فرق میکنن برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم قبل از اینکه به بریک بریم میخواستم بگم که پادکست های ما در از طریق رادیو بامداد در گوگل و آیتون قابل سرچ هستش تحت عنوان رادیو بامداد و زیر عنوان کالچر اند سایکولوژی ما تا کنون شاید در حدود نزدیک به 130 تا 40 پادکست داریم که میتونین بر اساس تاپیک های مختلف اونها رو سرچ بکنین اگر کسانی هستن که از برنامه ما به زبان انگلیسی استفاده میکنن خواهش میکنم ازشون دعوت کنیم به برنامه ما توجه کنن برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم با ما باشیم We are back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and we continue our conversation regarding how much we share. And we started with um, just saying that in uh, different cultures, when you ask um, a person, whether friend, family, relatives, or even people at work, when you say how you're doing, for the most part, people don't start with something that is going on in their lives. And usually they say it's good, it's great. And we were just kind of breaking this down into different parts and conversing about what it means when uh, in different cultures they share or how much they share or, or what is the outcome of sharing. And now we are back and we are continuing with our conversation. I was just thinking, um, Bernay Brown has many books and uh, his her first actually, um, you know, discussion or being out on the air was about, you know, shame, vulnerability. And I was just wondering, um, do we associate vulnerability with emotions or weakness? How do we see that, especially in different culture? Because part of what we are talking about is being vulnerable. And as Brene, um, uh, Rene um, Brown talks about, I had listened to her, uh, especially about shame and vulnerability. She talks about how in different culture we perceive this. Is it a sign of weakness? Is it a sign of, you know, just saying what is real, you know? So I like to talk about that, uh, especially I'm sure we talked about Brene Brown in the past as well. And I'm sure you guys have listened to her uh, as well. So maybe because she actually opened up this. And I remember even in our management retreat, 
one of the things we were discussing was what she was saying as um, what do we see as shame and what do we see as vulnerability? What, what is in our culture? What does it mean? And I think it's important to talk about these. How do we perceive vulnerability? Is it a sign of weakness? Yeah, there's a lot there, I think, <laughs> in a good okay. way. Yeah, Daniel, go ahead. Well, I I guess I would start with trying to dissect a question when you say, how do we see it? Do you mean how do we as psychologists see it? How do we in this culture see it? How do men see it? Well, yeah, exactly. So you guys can talk about how men see this aside from being a psychologist. Just let's talk about gender thing. If you want to go, I, I am pretty much an anti-advocate of speaking about gross generalizations like gender, like women this and men this. Having said that, <laughs> having said that, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a risk here and be vulnerable. You, you can speak for us, Daniel, on behalf of men everywhere. You <laughs> are permitted to. Yes. yes. Talk, I, about, talk about you as a man. How about that? I Well, I think it's wise to speak in a general sense to some extent here. I think the, uh, in a kind of a masculine or even macho culture, it's not considered generally okay to be vulnerable. This is one of the big issues for a lot of men today. I mean, I think that's probably the, one of the big driving reasons behind a lot of men's groups today is because as men in this Western culture, anyway, we do not get training or a good cultural knowledge about how to work with emotions, especially feeling vulnerable because the whole idea of, being male is one of potency and power. And so to feel vulnerable and talk about feeling vulnerable is really, I think, a great big challenge. Not to mention the fact that it's not just difficult for men, but for a lot of women as well, hearing their man say he is vulnerable or talk about being weak can go against their sense of who their partner or significant other is. So it's not a criticism. I'm just saying culturally baked in are some of these roles. And so some women may expect that. And again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I think it just happens to be that way. I think those are some of the big challenges. If we start off with the first broad brush strokes there, Alex, what's your take? I was going to say on behalf of the National Men's Academy, uh, thank you. we agree with your statements, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for the endorsement. Yes, 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 yeah. No, I don't know if there's a National Men's Academy actually, but uh, <laughs> it started. No, I, I think it. I think it is. It's and I, you know, it definitely is delicate in that way to to speak in those generalizations. But I think that's we have to start with these things that are are felt and experienced as maybe questionable and taboo as they may feel that they're still there. We can't pretend that these expectations of certain genders, you know, are, are very present and very real. And like you said, I agree with that idea that they're baked into our culture and our society. And sometimes culture plays into that. I think one of the first times that I was a part of uh, Tavana Inc was in giving a presentation about masculinity and, and machismo, specifically in the Latino culture. And I think a lot of times, even when people hear that term machismo, they think of it in a negative connotation of, uh, you know, a somebody who is, is uh, promiscuous, somebody who is 
maybe ultra masculine and, and maybe even, you know, violent, where there could be a lot of positive aspects of masculinity, where you're dedicated to your family, uh, you know, your, the well-being and the emotional, psychological and financial well-being of your family are at the forefront of you. You take pride in that. But a lot of times those things are seen as, you know, if you do opposite, if you express the emotion that you have for your family and the love that you have, that can be like a weakness. Uh, I, I've, one of the things I've grown up purposely doing is with like my nieces and my nephews, telling them, I love you, saying the words, I love you, because I think that's something even traditionally, a lot of men would not do like, well, I put, you know, I feed you, I put a roof over your house, you know, I love you. Versus being, you know, very nurturing and saying, oh, I love you. I missed you. Uh, I, I think that can be such an important message, especially for kids. Uh, but even that could sometimes be seen as like a weakness or a vulnerability to express those emotions. So, yeah, I think it's something that it's still very hard to this day for a lot of people. And, and I think I, I see, like you said, Daniel, too, that emphasis on men's group. I see a lot of men in my practice seeking a male therapist because of this idea that it would maybe be easier to open up and share about those emotions. Like it's, it's risky maybe in most settings to share with other men in that, but knowing that this person is a therapist that we work with emotions, they sometimes feel a little bit more secure, a little safer in that way, I think. And so, yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate too, that, 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 that is so, taboo too. even that idea of vulnerability. I remember in, in grad school, one of the first times I, I, I mentioned that to a professor I had about the struggle of vulnerability and he, it, it resonated with him too. He was just like, like, what do you mean by that? It's like, it's not easy. Like, it's not easy to open up. Like it's, it's hard. Like it's not something that's just innate. You, you would learn that sometimes through trial and error that it's okay to open up at certain times. Real quick, I just wanted to share this brief story too. I remember one of the first times I opened up emotionally, I was probably like 10 years old. And I was playing, I played softball as a kid from when I was like six to 13. I played, you know, baseball, t-ball, all that. I remember one time, and, and when you play baseball, I don't know if you guys play baseball, when you play baseball, you get hit everywhere on your body with a baseball at some point. All right. Like everywhere. And it's uncomfortable. Okay. But uh, one time I remember I got hit like on the top of my head, like there was a foul ball and went up pretty high. I didn't see it at the time, you know, hit me on the, the top of the head. And I remember I wanted to cry. I was 10 years old. I remember vividly, I wanted to cry so bad, but I remember feeling like I wasn't supposed to, like I had to hold it in. And I remember my coach at the time, he came over to me and he hugged me and he said, it's okay, mijo, you can cry. And I remember just bawling because I think it was twofold. It was one being allowed to express that emotion, but then also two, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And so, you know, at 10 years old, I could remember like feeling like it wasn't okay to cry. And then hearing that from another man that it was okay I remember really allowed me to kind of open up and express that in that way. Cause otherwise I think what the, the script is there, other people are going to tease you, you know, boys don't cry all of those messages that, you know, unfortunately at such a young age, even in the face of pain, you're not able to do so. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful lesson. I mean, so, so nice that you had that really positive experience there. Yeah. Not everybody gets that. And if you hadn't got that, then that would have just cemented in the conditioning wherever it had come from further in. Yeah. Too bad everybody doesn't get 
one of those type of healing lessons. That's cool. Yeah, that idea. It's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have emotion. It's something I say to patients. Yeah. As adults and like, they're like, that's, I, I, that makes sense, but I, it struggle, they struggle emotionally to, to know what that means for them. And I think a lot of men do. And I I think even too, uh, you know, one of the things we were talking about, you know, gender, but also something I hear from women too, the idea of being vulnerable in regards to sometimes, and, and we can go back to men in a second, but I just wanted to mention this before I forgot that sometimes women will tell me that other women are like the most vindictive towards them and can be crueler to them than their male counterparts sometimes. So any weakness or vulnerability is really pounced on and really used in a harsh negative way. And, and I've had numerous women tell me this and, uh, you know, not being a woman, I, I, I can't, you know, know what that experience is. And I wouldn't assume that I would assume that, you know, other women would really try to help each other up and encourage them. But uh, unfortunately, it's something I hear a lot of women say it tends to be there are times where it's the opposite. It's the women are the, the, the most harsh towards each other. You know, a good indicator of how much conditioning we have in that and we don't even know it, I think, is how many times have you had a patient in session cry and then as soon as they stop crying, they apologize for it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's, there's a message there that they're saying that they think, oh, you know what, it's not okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Or I've had set, a patient say, oh, I didn't come in last week because I was in the worst possible shape and I wouldn't have been any good in session. Mm-hmm. What is your understanding of what we're doing in here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe they were apologizing because they made you emotional and made you feel, you know, I I don't know. I'm just saying because sometimes you just feel like, oh, I cried and I probably made you feel bad that I'm crying. So you feel like it's the deepest situation, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. But as I was listening to both of you, I was just thinking, you know, in life development, in psychology, when we study how much um, um, a genotype or phenotype, um, you know, the, their effectiveness and especially phenotype, the environment and all of that. And I was just thinking about that because my mother's family side, my mother's, uh, my mother grew up in, a, um, her, her dad was in army. So the way they were, raised was more with discipline, with more, you know, just holding back and um, that type of thing. So my mom was very strong, never cried, or I'm just thinking those types of things also affect how you are raised. And then here, I mean, when I go back to my experiences with my parents, my dad was more emotional, or at least showing it, you know, And um, I remember I've seen my dad crying, but I haven't seen my mom. Like when my aunt passed, my dad was crying. And I remember that that was the first time I saw my dad crying. And, um, you know, I've seen my mom that lost her sister, but was even uh, had issue. We had to take her to doctor because of her heart and the emotion she had kept but she wouldn't say anything or she wouldn't show her emotion. I'm just thinking the way you're raised also is um, important in how you're 
showing your vulnerability, you know, it doesn't matter as a woman or men. I mean, yes, in general, the culture, um, the society is really important, but also the way you're raised is important, you know. Um, and sometimes um, it's very interesting. I just recently had a patient um, that is American, um, actually third generation Mexican from mother's side and uh, American from the father's side. And uh, she just came to me and this was the second or third time I was seeing her. And she was just say, telling me that she's going to acupuncture, she's going online to find this and that, she's going to herbalist. She's, um, I mean, all different things that at the same time she's doing and she's coming to see me. And then I just told her very straightforward. I said, why don't you stick to one thing at a time? Because you get confused by trying anxiously to resolve the problem by going to all these different directions at the same time. I know she was offended by this because she sort of, in a very nice way, told me that this is the culture that you come from, that you are telling me, you know, straightforward doing this. And I was just thinking about that. And I apologize. I said, if I was being blunt and I told you, you know, this, but this is the way I see happening. And I think it's just too much trying different things. And that's why you're not focusing one thing. And I thought it was my duty as a person who's listening to tell her that you're there. So it was there that I thought, wow, even as a person in this position that I am, I have to watch, you know, how I say it, what I say it. And that was an interesting, very interesting actually experience for me, even at this time with this profession. I feel like we can dissect that a couple of ways, but in just the idea of kind of what we're talking about, I, I think I agree. It's, it's tough. We have to always reflect on, especially as therapists, we reflect on a person's cultural kind of background experiences and even those differences too. And, and I think those differences don't have to be things that there are definitely things that we can respect, but I don't think there are things that we have to avoid exploring even because we all have a different relationship with our culture. And so being able to even explore what that, how that influences things, how that impacts us, kind of like as you were doing a little bit, Daniel, as far as like, what is that message that your dad kind of gave you? We can ask, you know, what is that message that, you know, your culture says about you know, somebody saying something to you. And so it, it doesn't have to be this unchallengeable rule necessarily. It can be something we reflect at and say, do we want to live by this rule? And I, I think even going back to what I was mentioning earlier about men and, you know, gender, as we were talking about that, we don't have to live by these rules of, you know, as a man, you don't do this. And again, like I said, I, I try to intentionally not do those, not adhere to that strict kind of policy that most men maybe adhere to. Like, I'm not going to verbalize that I love somebody. I'm not going to verbalize that, you know, I care for you. I, I try to do that even with my male friends. I tell them that, Hey, I love you, man. I missed you. Or it's good to see you and give them a hug. To me, that's something that's really important that, you know, it's not just this, Oh no, you don't do that as a man or, Oh no, no, that's, that's, you know, that's weakness or something like that. Like that's, I think is, is it, to not, 
at least explore what those messages are that come from those areas of our life, including culture and gender, could really be doing uh, you know us a disservice. Um, I guess we can come back and continue the conversation. We are at our next break. Um, I'd like to say some words in Farsi for our listeners. If you just turn on your radio and اگر شما تازه صدای ما رو میشنوین و رادیواتون رو تازه باز کردین ما به زبان انگلیسی صحبت میکنیم ما روزهای شنبه و یه شنبه از رادیو بامداد در ساعت دوازت و یکی بعد از ظهر موضوعات روانشناسی رو مورد بحث قرار میدیم امروز در مورد اینکه چطوری مردها و زنها نشون دادن احساساتشون بر اساس مسائل فرهنگی و تربیتی فرق میکنه و به عنوان حتی روانشناس صحبت کردن با مریضها و کسانی که به ما رجوع میکنن ما تا کنون در دو قسمت برنامه راجب یه مقداری تجارب شخصی خودمون صحبت کردیم و یه مقدارم کلن راجب این که چقدر فرهنگ ها در مورد زنها و مردها و نشون دادن احساساتشون متفاوت هستن و میدونیم که در تمام فرهنگ ها تا اونجایی که من اطلاع دارم مسئله زن و مرد بودن و مسئله نشون دادن احساسات به نوعی با هم فرق میکنه و ما این موضوعات رو مورد بحث قرار دادیم خواهش میکنم اگه کسانی هستن که ممکنه از برنامه ما به زبان انگلیسی استفاده کنن ازشون دعوت کنین که روزهای شنبه و شنبه از ساعت دوازده تا یکی بعد از ظهر در رادیو بامداد صدای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی تحت عنوان Culture and Psychology پادکست های ما در Spotify و آیتون قابل سرچ هستن همینطور از گوگل اگه ما رو سرچ بکنین ما در رادیو بامداد تحت عنوان کالچر اند سایکولوژی در حدود شاید 130 تا 140 پادکست داریم که میتونین بر اساس تاپیک های مختلف به اونا گوش بدین برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو در مورد احساسات و اینکه در فرهنگ های مختلف چگونه با هم متفاوت هست صحبت میکنیم
We are back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and we continue our conversation about uh, how we perceive sharing and how much we share. And also we got um, to the point of vulnerability, to point of showing emotions, and um, we are continuing the third part of our conversation. And I want to say a quote from Brene Brown that um, she has done hundreds of interviews uh, and she has studied vulnerability. She says, the, re the research shows that we try to ward disappointment with the shield of cynicism, disarm shame by numbing ourselves against, against joy and um, circumvent grief by shutting off our willingness to love. I want to open our third session by this um, quote from Brene Brown. So she explains when we become aware of these patterns, um, we actually either consciously or um, by cultural practices, we sacrifice in the name of self-defense. So let's talk about that. Can you repeat that quote again? Like I sort of got lost in the multiple clauses okay. that were in there. Okay, so I'm going to say the quote again. This is after she has done hundreds of interviews, um, an ongoing study of vulnerability. She says, the research shows that we try to ward disappointment with the shield of cynicism disarm shame by numbing ourselves against joy and circumvent grief by shutting off our willingness to love. Okay. All right. So are we accepting what, what she says is true? You guys, yeah. No, we have to defend it or this is what she says. So. Agree with yeah. her? The National I mean, Men's Association is still debating this issue. So, Daniel, uh, you can take a crack at it if you like. I got to go for it there. <laughs> well, I, I'm still trying to condense it and capsulize it. It sounds like we, we shut ourselves off from enjoyment of life with these defense mechanisms of things like cynicism. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? I think so. That's how I take it. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I think that makes a little sense to me. Sure. We have to be, we have to be able to accept uh, some of uh, the reason why we defend stuff is so that we don't get hurt. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes down to, well, we have to be, that's what being vulnerable is in my mind. It's like, oh, I could get hurt here. There's some risk here. I could get hurt. And I don't want to get hurt. So I'm going to do these defenses so that I don't get hurt. But the problem is that when I do these defenses, now I'm cutting off my connection with other people. And so it's going to be a different kind of hurt because it's a loneliness hurt. I, and can we take the risk of opening up so that we connect with other people and enjoy the depth that comes from a deep connection? Do you think this is something to do with self-esteem as well? You know, when you have high self-esteem, you're at a position that you feel like even if you are sharing something, you're so sure that um, the core of who you are is not going to be damaged, you know, by sharing something. You know what I mean? It's like there are so many other aspects of a person in this that yeah. it can come to, um, you know, to 
fruition when it comes to these type of connection. Because I'm just thinking, okay, yes, if I'm a person that I'm just so worried about what people think of me, I'm always conscientious and I always create barriers so that nobody can step further and get close to me because I don't want anybody to know, you know, deeply inside I have, you know, some weaknesses and maybe to the way I perceive myself as a weak person. But if I'm a strong and I know who I am, I know my core is this and that, I just feel like if I share, I'm not going to damage that. I don't, I mean, I, I just feel like there's so many other aspects in a person that causes a lot of other things. Yeah, I think it comes down to acceptance of of what, I don't think it's so much that I have to have everything perfectly nailed down and therefore feel good about myself. I think it's the recognition that I don't have everything nailed down and I can accept that I'm not perfect here. I'm not, that I'm a pretty good person, not perfect, got some flaws. I can accept that. Then I become, then I can open up and say, yeah, well, you know what? When somebody points out my inadequacies, I say, yeah, dang it. I know I do that. I hate that about myself. Yeah. And then that's when you have self, high self-esteem. You feel like, yes, I have flaws. Yes, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm strong enough to, um, you know, be open to even showing my weaknesses. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's a, I, I agree with you. I think it's a challenge. Alex, where were you? What were you saying? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's the idea of like Freud. We talk about defense mechanism, Freud. It's making the unconscious conscious. And so we want to be conscious of those defense mechanisms that we use so that they aren't a liability, but instead we can own them and say, yes, that is something that I struggle with. It's a bit of a difficulty. But even in that, that can encourage that increase self-worth self-value because yeah i always say you don't have to be a perfect person to be a good person and so being able to acknowledge and, and and incorporate that in our sense of self can make us feel more secure uh and and we can know hey yeah that's something that i struggle with as you were mentioning what a great concept alex i love that you don't have to be a perfect person to be a good person I don't know if you remember too. That reminds me too, Dan. One of the one of the, years ago now, when I was interning with you, I made the joke when I was your intern. I said, "Wait, after working with Daniel, I realized you don't have to be a perfect person to be a psychologist." And you laughed at me because <laughs> it was a little bit of a backhanded compliment in realizing like you're not perfect, Daniel. And I thought for a long time, and that was eye opening to me at that time because at that time I thought you had to be. A perfect person to be a psychologist. I thought you had to have it all together in order to be able to be in a position to help others in that way. And so through your humanness, not your, your failings, but through your humanness, it, it really showed me like you could just be a person, you can be you know, a, a, a real person. And that I find is even more valuable than being a perfect person, because I think people can relate to other real people versus I don't think anyone can relate to a perfect person. It's just like, oh man, that's, that's up here and I'm down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like when people have a mask, I think relate to a mask. Some people, I think again, another topic comes to my mind uh, when we are discussing this is judgment. You know, in front of some people who are not judgmental, you can be more free to share. 
people who are judgmental, you sort of are more careful what you say and what you open up, um, you know, because I've noticed talking about Daniel. Um, now, here is not uh, about Daniel, but I have to say now that you mentioned. No, seriously, when you are with Daniel, you know that he listens without judgment. And you feel like, yeah, I can share this. You know, he he's not going to judge me by showing this weakness. But you are careful with some other people that you have that feeling of uncomfortableness. And, you know, all these senses in a less than one millionth of a second comes to your mind, you know, that you feel like, am I safe here to say this? Am I not safe here? So, for example, when we sit together and we talk, I completely feel safe um, and I can just share anything with you guys, both Alex and, and Dan. Um, well, first of all, because we have all of us are in this profession and, and we have a different sort of understanding and knowledge or experiences. Aside from that, I think, yes, that profession makes you a little different, obviously, but also, um, you know, just knowing that whatever you share here, it's, um, it's not being judged. And that is also important. It's just being broadcast. Out <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, we forget sometimes that apparently people are listening. Uh, and then, yeah, somebody will recite, oh, man, that thing happened to you with baseball as a kid. And I'm like, hey, how'd you find that out? And I'm like, oh, wait, I thought I was talking to just the two of you. But yeah, sometimes other people are listening. So I think that is good that we're open and vulnerable in that way. Yeah, um, are showing people, hey, you know. Yeah. And seriously, when I am sitting here and we are actually doing this for Radio Bandad, I honestly, majority of the times I forget that it's being broadcasted <laughs> and it's just talking to you guys. And I'm on the one hand happy because we are natural and we are sharing a lot of our experiences that we have had personally and professionally, but also I think we are opening up to people listening to us that, you know, it is okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to share. And of course, you have to know who you share with and all of that, because then you don't want to face with the outcome that is negative, but also just be confident enough that we all have flaws. We all are imperfect. We all, um, as a human being, have, um, you know, everything not is complete and perfect. So with that, we got to the end of our program. And I would like to start with the last statement that we each always uh, say about our topic. So we start with Alex. Oh, man, I was see. I, I feel like we should start betting who she's going to call on. I, my money was on you this time, Daniel. I, was like, I thought it was like, too. I yeah. Was see, I would have lost. I would have lost. Like you know, I'll bet you a cup of coffee that she calls on you at the end. You know, and I, so, we yeah. did bet, didn't we? Well, I don't. I, that was the previous show. Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, the thing I would encourage uh, listeners to reflect on is that idea of like. And it's something I think about in therapy too, the idea of not being the perfect you, but trying to be the, the, the better or the fooler you. And it's one of those things where 
there's those ideas about how we want to be in, in those best parts of ourselves that we want to try to bring forward. But as you were just mentioning, Saide, there's this idea of this expectation that we're supposed to be a certain way or there's a right way of being. So I always think it's it's a great question to ask ourselves. How can we be a fuller, better us? Not in regards to meeting others' expectations, uh, obviously not disregarding them as well, but just saying, how do we how do we find that balance where we can be the best, fullest us so we can feel good about being open and authentic and genuine in that way. And it sounds like an easy question, but I think it's a really tough one. It tends to lead you to reflect on your values and what's important to you and, and how you want to connect with others. And so like for myself, brief example, it's like, I want to be loving and caring and, and open and available to those people who uh, I value in my life and, you know, trying to be present as well. And so it's, you know, again, as you can hear, there's some some values that are sprinkled in on there. So definitely kind of try to reflect on what, you know, how do you want to be? What's that fuller, better part of you that you can bring to your everyday life? Okay, my tip is going back to the initial part of what we started with, which was the greeting. And so if somebody asks how you're doing, I would encourage you to give just a tiny little bit of a response that is genuine not using the words good or fine and not doing what I did earlier, which was great, super great, wonderful, excellent, robotic. No so robotic. It's a cool robot. You sound like a cool robot though, Daniel. It's well, you know, and it's kind of meant in more of a humorous, sarcastic way. Like it, it's not really all super great and excellent. And <laughs> Alex, just want to also check in. I'm still a little wounded from, uh, what you said so many years back there about, about the, the coffee or the perfect, no, the perfect, you don't have to be perfect to uh, be a therapist. It, it was, it was a great purpose and growth for me, if that's any consolation, but no, like I, I really, I, I mean that in the humblest way you, you showed me that, you know, I could be me, uh, honestly. I remember at one time too, that briefly reminds me, we were walking, uh, you know, we walk your dog and we talk about, you know, kind of, you know, what, what I was thinking. And I, I vividly remember you were like, oh, what do you think? And I was like, who am I? Like, why are you asking me? Like, why, why is my opinion or view of any value at all? And I think I said something to that kind of flavor, but you were like, no, well, you were there. Like you, you were there, you were, you seen it. Like, you know, what do you think? And, and just even that was like, this guy, this psychologist guy thinks like I have some value in my view or opinion. And so, uh, yeah, even at a very early, uh, you know, age or early time, you know, that was so informative and, and encouraging in that way. So I, I thank you. Sorry for the backhanded compliment, but I, but I do mean it in, in, in a very gracious way. That's how I took it. I took it in the best possible <laughs> way. I'm just ribbing you a little bit. Here. But I, before we go on, though, I would... Throw it, throw in the one other thing that you referenced there, Alex, and that is, you know what? We all have something important to say, and our opinions do matter. Our views matter. Yeah, I think that's an important piece. Well, interesting. I was just listening to both of you and what I said, and I said, well, our listeners are going to say, "Oh my gosh, who is this, Dr. Daniel Rockers, that <laughs> receives all this positive?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, opinion about him. But anyways, I want to say that um, our soul is very fragile. As, and we have to always be very careful what we say to each other. And just sort of 
be careful when you are making a point to someone. Just always remember, uh, first of all, who you're talking to, how close you are, how this person is going to take your words. And um, don't just bluntly say what it comes to your mind. You have to always remember that there are people out there that they're very sensitive. And if they share something, just listen. You don't have to always um, make a point out of what they share. Just always have a good ear for listening. And also, if you're sharing, always remember who you are sharing and what is the purpose. If you are just connecting and with your connection, you're opening up all this very um, sensitive um, you know, information in your life, you have to always watch who you're sharing and what you're saying and what is the purpose. But also, I want to invite everybody even when we started with um, Dr. Rocker said, oh, I feel great. Everything is great. Sometimes we really feel that. We get up and we have heard the good news. The, it's a beautiful day. You're in a good mood. So why not? You just say, today I feel so great. And it's sincere. It's taken also that way. But um, just to show superiority and always show that everything is fine, um, it doesn't work with everybody, you know, if you're close and sincere and have a close relationship, it's always good to keep that balance, you know. So with that, I want to invite everybody once again to just have moderation in everything, in every connection, in every relationship. Um, and sometimes we hear even people who are the closest to each other, they sometimes share things that maybe they shouldn't have. Because, you know, it's always good to always watch um, that as well. So have a wonderful Saturday. We come back and we have another conversation tomorrow.
Kurba sva se ne sve safa Ne sve رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا